This week's sponsor is Eldon's Chimera Pets. Do you love dogs? Yes. Do you love cats? Yes. Well, at Eldon's Chimera Pets, you can have both at the same time. Woo! What? We've got piranha sheep. No. We've got sturge hamsters. Ooh. Bunny snakes? We've got them too. Give me two creatures and I can Chimera them up. And this week, 20% off on all owl bears. So come on down to Eldon's Chimera Pets today. Our prices are This is the Directed Mark Podcast. A podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music at our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. And welcome to the 488th episode of the Best Director Mark Podcast. Tonight we discuss the dungeon as a story in your tabletop role-playing games. But first... My name is Jerry. My name is Phil. Oh, I'm Chris. And I am the ghost of Spiro Agnew. Okay, cool. Well then, uh, a, a we are unofficially sponsored by Tim Hortons Coffee. Yes. Uh, we have, if you were watching the video version of this, you can see that there's a Masks and Eureka's uh, book thing on the left side. Oh, those are good books. Yes, they are. You should buy them. They're very you good go books. Buy you, them buy them a, you can buy them in a combo. Mm-hmm. From Drive-Thru RPG, right? Drive-Thru RPG. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't seen it yet... Maze's campaign options is kickstarting right now from our good friend, The Warden. Yes. Right. Best name in gaming, Todd Crapper. Todd Crapper. Yeah, Go check it out. Exactly. If you like 5e D&D good, stuff. Good folks. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Good stuff. All right, Bob, let's get to the temperature check. Yeah, let's do that temperature check. Um, we're going to check in and see how everybody's feeling tonight. Jerry, how you feeling? Pretty good. Got lots of sleep. Uh, survived last night's long football game that was amazing, but still managed to get to sleep. Was so. it long? Not really. No, it took a long time to get home. It felt yeah, Jerry long. had it a felt bit long. of a drive to get home. Yeah, it was, it was good though. We had a good time. I'm feeling good, Phil. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling good now. Glad we didn't record last week. I was uh, in a mental dumpster uh, last week, but which is funny because it was my re- my fault we didn't record last week. I think I would have just put my show face on and done the you know done the night. But I actually had like a about a four day depressive episode where I barely did anything for four days, uh, including speak, uh, interact with people, etc. I've since come through the other side of that, had a nice weekend and mental health wise, feeling a lot more uh, tidy, cleaned up and tidy. Physically, I feel fine. Doing all right, Chris. I have gout, which sucks. Oh, yeah. Don't don't get gout. Is it in one particular place? Yeah, it's on my left foot. Ugh. It's fine. I'm now uh, mostly better. My foot's a little damaged, but that's to be expected. I have bad gout. It's it's a problem. I'm working on taking care of it. That's all. But otherwise, I'm fine. Uh, I could tell you that you. That, that I have been thinking about and, and comprehending ways to mess with this show in, in, in a variety of ways, not that we haven't been doing it since I came back, <laughs> but uh, there, there might be even more things getting messed with in the future. I think it's less visible to people how much the show gets messed with because most of it's been happening. We've done a few things to templates and stuff, but most of it's been behind the scenes in terms of how we set up and how it's getting filmed and there is, I don't think there's been two weeks in a row. The setup has been exactly the same yet. Nope. Like nope. Bob is sitting at the table again today. Yes, yeah, we've yeah. returned Bob. It's nice to actually see Bob. Like, yeah. like before we were all talking to the back of Bob's head for a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've also diverged quite a bit away from the temperature check again. Good so, job, Bob. Good really, job. Really, really good at the temperature check. Good no, no, job. man. This is this is important to me because this is this is messes with my mental health all the okay. time. Is well, me messing, if, if there was me, a point to the... Me messing with the show... Because I'm always thinking about the show. This is like my primary hobby is podcasting and gaming, right? Like, gotcha. And making stuff like this. Sure. So it affects me a great deal when I don't like the way things are going. Well, that's much better. Yeah, that's fair. Very are you fair. feeling? Are you feeling somewhat better? No. No. Still. <laughs> no. Still a little anxious I'll ask about the this. Show. I'll ask this. Is it 
spoon giving, but you'd like it to be more spoon giving? Or is it spoon draining and you need to get it to flip around to something positive? I mean, we could talk about it later. I don't know if we're going to necessarily talk about it right here. It's like a oompa, a little bit. I came back wanting to do X and we're not really good at doing X. X being straight up video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not good at it. We're not good at it. We're no. getting there though. <laughs> no, so, I don't know no, if we're... I don't no. know that we're ever going to get to, to that. So I am now like implementing plan Y, which is less fun for me. So I'm trying to figure out a way to make it more fun for me. So I'm not miserable. That's yeah. fair. So maybe in the after show, we can talk about it. But yeah, yeah I, I mean, we definitely, you know, we've tried a few things. If you've watched any of the videos, you've seen an evolution of stuff that we've been trying to do video. And and I think what you're seeing is we started with trying to do some pretty heavy, straight I video I wanted to stuff. do YouTube video stuff. And, right. we, uh, and we're back to talking on mics. Yes, uh, as a group of four people, we are not like equipped for that. But there are things that we are equipped for that I think could be fun, yeah. which are coming up. Yeah, we have a plan. So it's definitely worth unpacking this a little bit more in the after show sure. and give the give yeah. the uh, the patrons some of the inside baseball. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you want to be a patron, you can go to our Patreon page and give us $1 and you can hear that conversation. Yeah. At Insert the very plug. least, we're getting better at not just reading straight off the teleprompter. And Workshop looking into the topic, camera. The a GM topic that gone. is discussed. <laughs> the I like the teleprompter. I know you did. The rest of us yeah. were so bad at it. I know. It's oh, and fine. by the way, we I'm failed. We failed. Tonight. We failed you. <laughs> it broke my heart a little bit. Bob's a little yeah. tired <laughs> tonight. Why are you tired tonight, Bob? <laughs> I'm tired because of last night's sports ball contest. Yes. And my body is kind of rebelling a little I bit. I feel amazing my, after my that back football is game. A little, well, yeah, I, that that part, but I, I did not get a lot of sleep last night. You, you, you didn't, I ate way too much, I was so say, my stomach was busy digesting while I was supposed to be sleeping. No, I was going to say, you but, didn't have the same combination of foods that Bob did last night. I, no. I stress eat. Yeah. I stress eat. So <laughs> my, uh, What were you stressing about? <laughs> I, it's sports ball. I stress about... Dude, sports the game ball. was over in, in like I know. an hour and 20 minutes. Did not let his guard down. Until, until halftime, I was stress eating. Then I slowed down. Then he was just regular overeating. Because well, after that, he's like, ooh, cake, ooh, crab rangoon dip. Like, yeah, yeah. trying to remind me yeah, of we had birthday cake. Already. Anyhow. <laughs> okay, so, it's, eight, it's okay. eight minutes in. We could probably move yeah. on. Point of the matter is, I feel pretty good because we're doing the show, even mm -hmm. though I'm a little tired. All right. Yeah. Would, Plus, uh, I had a fine Tim Hortons coffee, which has perked me up. As soon as we get to like 2,000 or 3,000 listeners, I will go and ask Tim Hortons for sponsorship. Yeah, sounds good. Workshop, workshop, dungeon is a story. We're going to start the dungeon and go in it. We're going to go through the story. We're going to go around, find something big. We're going to fight it and win here in the workshop. And don't suck. Don't suck. Trying to make it like don't a little. Suck. Trying to make it like a little story. That's good. Yeah, okay. it's quality. I'm gonna drink. Don't I'm gonna drink suck. my Tim Hortons coffee to <laughs> so, my throat. So dungeons are one of the initial situations and settings that we've had in, in role playing games. There's a location that's dangerous. It needs to be explored. It's enclosed in some way and it has a reason to go into it. I'm not sure if they're easy for people to put together or if they were the first kinds of adventures that we had or what, but they've been around since the dawn of role-playing games and persist still as one of the most prevalent and well-known adventure types around. So we're going to talk about how dungeons can be used as a format for storytelling in your role-playing games, using the ideas that follow will provide you with a dungeon experience that will be reminiscent of how movies and novels feel. Since all the ideas within are borrowed from novel and screenwriting books, but have been reinterpreted for the tabletop role-playing game medium. If you'd like to read the books that I'm primarily referencing, they're called Save the Cat and Save the Cat Writes a Novel. Now, that's not the only thing, but those are the two primary sources. They're basically the same book, but one for novel, one for screenwriting. Uh, if you're not interested in that, then I won't be offended if you check out now. If you are, I promise if you try some of this stuff, then it doesn't matter if your players are more interested in tactical games or exploration style games. 
These are all stories, and having this stuff there can give your game that extra bit of depth that'll make that fight a little bit more memorable when you roll that critical hit to save the day, and a little bit more meaningful when you find the lost amulet of Telumia within the depths of Tartarus. So let me say this. If you are not a fantasy person, this topic is still applicable. Of course. This is the abandoned spaceship. Yep. This is the uh, 19th century mental institution in a Cthulhu game. Yeah. Like it is. This is the cyberpunk neighborhood. The neighborhood. It's a weird lab that you, you know, mm -hmm. cyberpunk lab that you find that's now, you know, yep. offline or whatever. Well, all of it those is, are essentially dungeons. Yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So this topic, while Chris is going to be taking a look at it and using all examples from a fantasy angle, all of this stuff applies across the board to a bunch of different genres. Correct. Okay. Well, with that huge promise that I've made, and I'll probably never be able to keep, let's get started. Jerry. All right, we're going to start with the introduction. In part one of your dungeon adventure, you're going to be doing some setup work. You're going to need to do the following things to cover your introduction to the adventure. So first, you're going to need a strong hook. This is the reason the PCs go into the dungeon in the first place. It's the dungeon's most base configuration. It's also your A story. In our example, our hook and our A story are get the gem and save the character's husband from the wasting disease. It's a very strong reason for the characters to go into the dungeon. So if we boil it down to the essential essence, the reason is to rescue someone. But there are other reasons. Some of those other reasons are money, treasure, maybe some sort of MacGuffin, stopping something bad from happening, exploring an unexplored place to see what's there, maybe a personal reason like revenge, justice, rescue someone does get personal. Yeah, it does. And finally, finding out what happened to someone who went in there before you. Yeah. So, Philip, you're going to say? Yeah. So the thing about the A story is the A story is how you connect the dungeon mm -hmm. to the outside world. Correct. Yeah. Right. This is the. This I is think the, so. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. This is the yeah. pathway because otherwise the dungeon kind of exists in a yep. place and could and is and probably been forgotten to time something like that, but you need a way to connect your adventurers to that location. Yeah. And so this yeah. A story is a great method for building that connection. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, depending on the game you're playing, depends on, in my opinion, how hard you have to make the cell for that a story so if your campaign is a fantasy campaign of an adventuring guild right who explores old ruins and things like that it's super easy right super easy you're just like a uh, dungeon has been found yonder in the in the you know in the hills yeah. and everybody's like let's go there let's before go. somebody especially before anybody else gets there exactly yeah. but if your fantasy story is is centered in a town on like being the town constables any dungeon has been found in yonder hills. Why the hell does the constable want to go to the dungeon? Because some kids wandered in there and they haven't yep. come back yet. Bingo. That's your A story. Yep. That's what the A story does is makes that connection. So depending on what you're running in your campaign, what your situation, your base situation is for your yep. campaign, will depend on how hard you need to sell that A story. Mm -hmm. And as players, once one player bites into that A story, the rest of the players should jump in on it. Generally, yes. That doesn't mean they will, but yeah, that's... Yeah. You hope but, they but, do. But, but you I'm have some is, other issues. But, if I'm, that... but, but, but I'm saying as a player, that's, like if one of the players jumps in on that, they should. Uh -huh. um, this, I'm with you. That, yeah. that should be the way that it goes. I would yeah. hope that's the way that people play. And if, and if you're GM designing a game, if you get a good a, a, a story for one player to get into, it's often easier to drag those other players along with it. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, I mean, if your A story can, can hook the group instead of a player, that's yeah. better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like both examples that Phil provided. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So other things that you need to be doing uh, during your introduction, right? We need to mention a number of other important things, starting with the face of the adventure that they're advocating for. So uh, this could, you know, in, in our case here, in the case that we're building up as in this episode, 
we're going to put somebody's spouse into peril. Yes. Okay. Um, It could be a patron. It could be somebody who needs to help the kids Mm -hmm. from the town, right? It could be something like a material reward. You know, it could just be like feeling good about doing something good. Like, hey, we're do-gooders. Oh, good. Well, there's a problem over here at Yonder Dungeon. Could be a favor or boon. Those are nice. Like, mm-hmm. I I rarely find players who will turn down a favor or boon from somebody powerful. Like, that's almost mm-hmm. always an easy sell. Like, what, the Duke is going to owe us one? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, baby. And any combination of those. Hey, so it's them. better if the Duke owes you one and pays you. Yeah. Yes. Even better, yeah. Yeah, I'll pay you this much, plus you will have my favor. Yeah. We should probably talk about the actual dungeon now, just for a second. We'll get to more of it later, but the idea is that uh, after three years, a castle reappeared. It was the castle of the Archmage Aldun. Now, his castle was uh, known to be this uh, place where constructs were made, and it made golems and things like that, and it vanished into a swamp three years ago, and it's now recently reappeared, and supposedly there is a gem inside of there that can heal the uh, dying husband. So that's why we want to go to the dungeon but after it reappeared the major domo from the castle came out of it and he was the only person that came out of it and he was saying things like it took everyone it took everyone which drops a little bit of mystery there all right so now we have our location that we are talking about yeah so we had we have in town right mm-hmm. we have our person who's sick yep that's our that, story and we now have a path to the location and a reason how we can solve the a story with the dungeon yep All right, the next thing we need to talk about is the villain or the opposition. In our example, the opposition is the disease, since it's killing the husband. But there's also whatever the major domo was talking about when they said it took everyone. So we have a more nebulous opposition in the disease and a mystery villain in whatever took everyone. Now, this could be a known entity, a group of people, an organization, or just a negative situation that's going into the dun- that- Misdirected Mark. Word scramble. This could be a known entity, a group of people, an organization- or just a negative situation that going into the dungeon can help deal with. Mentioning this opposition gives the PCs something to think about as they're making their way to the dungeon. There's going to be other opposition in the dungeon, but having something for the PCs to primarily latch onto helps with the adventure's direction, even if it's a red herring. Let's talk about the dungeon's premise in general. I already mentioned a little bit. Now, there's going to be some lost tunnels under the Archmage's castle. That's where this gem supposedly is. As the gem, we know there's some magical doodads and constructs within the castle. Now we need to expand on that a little more so we can whet the player's appetites for what they might be running into. So Aldun was a master artificer who built constructs with the hope of creating beings that would eventually evolve to become sentient. That one rumor about Aldun can tell the players a lot about what they might find in the dungeons. You don't need to withhold information. I hate withholding information. I think it's a terrible idea, mm-hmm. especially about the premise of the dungeon. Just tell the players a few things about it. It'll really help do that, and it matters. And the reason that it matters is that it gets the PCs excited and thinking about what they might be encountering. It gives them stuff they can look forward to. It allows for the PCs to do some quick prep work if they have the time, and it lets us set expectations. This is a promise that we're making to the players about what they're going to be dealing with. It's a, it's a premise that we're promising. As a general rule, as a player... I like my dungeons to be based in realism. Mm-hmm. There, I have a problem. I don't, it's not a huge problem. But like when we go back and look at like some of the old TSR, like oh. 80s dungeons, right? I, my my favorite ones are not, this is a bunch of weird shit under a mountain. These rooms make no sense. This is just a fun house dungeon. Like Even I, the Airy Peaks made sense. Yeah. One of my favorite dungeons ever is, it's from an issue of Dragon Magazine. And it is a lost wizard's school. 
And the whole dungeon is just that this wizard school fell into a chasm. I love that dungeon. You know what I'm talking that about, right? That map is great. Yeah, yes. that dungeon is fantastic. Oh my god, I love that adventure. And for me, that was, it was like the coolest thing because that in itself now is also a story. Like, yeah. how did it fall in? It's been lost to time. What does it look like? It, it's To me, it's far more interesting to be like, oh, this is the old kitchen than... This is a room full of manacores with like a pit of acid or something. You, you were you were foreshadowing the thing, which is that yeah. I'm just going to say it right now. I yeah. mean, we'll get to it, but that is what is considered the B story, yeah. which will contrast your A story, which gives you yeah. two different stories that you can play off of. I'm but just, we'll we'll get to that. I'm just going to say my players loved that so much they made it their base of operations. That. <laughs> See, there you go. That became their base. Yeah. My players loved it. Anyway. So I I love that realism because to me that also as a player mm -hmm. tells me about something I can expect. Like oh. This was an artificer's workshop. I got some. I have some expectations yeah, that can that can be fulfilled and subverted, yep. which is great. I you, lean heavily that way as a yeah, player myself. You know, yeah. you're going into the, into the necromancer's lair. You're going to stock up on holy water. That kind sure. Of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Also, if you if you go and read that book that I was talking about, Save the Cat, it, it is called the Promise of the Premise. Like, here's the premise that you were promising. You better pay it off. Yeah. Otherwise, you've completely screwed up. Yeah. Also, just before we move on. You can introduce a timer of some sort if you want to. This is optional, but it allows you to uh, make it more tense mm -hmm. when you're exploring the dungeon. In our example, like potentially, the husband has this wasting disease that's killing sure. them. So, sure. like, you need to get the thing before the husband dies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and you can approach that two different ways. Like, one is narratively, which is, oh, when they come out of the dungeon with the item, assuming they didn't all die, then they save the husband in the nick of time kind of thing. Sure. Right? No timer. Right. Or you can do a thing where you can put something on the table to represent the yes, timer. Yes, that is, that is what the, I'm talking about the with the countdown pushing of die. And like, if you really want to mess your players' brains up, you can give them the thing on the table, but narratively, as part of the actual story, they can be like, oh, like, one of the wizards can, or the cleric of the, of the church that knows that this wasting disease is going to kill him, says, you've got probably about X amount of time, and gives you the stick that they've enchanted, and as the color drains from the stick, mm -hmm. so That's now good. they've got the reminder, the physical reminder in their I, hand. I, I played a Savage Worlds game where the GM came out with a flip timer, and every time the players took an action, it flipped down one. Oh, that's the big die that we should turn yeah. Yeah. on the table. And you could like decide not to take an action and not flip that timer yep. down just to keep things moving. Do you that's the cortex mechanic, man. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember in Dangerous Space Jail? Yeah, the, the D6 yep. timer is on the it's table. It's not a, a D6. Remember? It, it's not a D6. Yeah, it, it's a graphic, oh, it's a with, graphic. A set of, with a right. set of uh, tokens on it. And as one of the move hard moves as a GM, you, take a token. you can take the token away. Yeah, because different things would happen as the timer. Uh, yes. Yep, and that represented yeah. a physical item so that, many timers. That, that was in the game. Yeah. And so the cool thing about it is it does two things. One, it allows you to ratchet up tension. Mm -hmm. Also allows you to hold tension at a certain level. You don't always have to keep ticking down the timer. It's true. Something can happen, and then everybody looks at the GM and is like, "What? No, the timer's fine." Mm -hmm. Right, and 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 for that moment, like, everybody's oh, like, oh. "That's that's fun, flexible tension, right?" Yep. Exactly. Put it out for the after show, Zombicide. I'll talk about that. But I'm doing the after show. Yeah, Zombicide's a good good yeah. mention of that too. Okay, so now that we've made our way through introducing everything important about the dungeon, you just need to push the players to get started so that we can move on to dun 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 part two. Fun and games. We're talking about the fun and games of the dungeon. This is where you get to show off the cool things and kind of let the players get a feel for the location. This is also where you get to introduce your B story. By the end of the fun and games section, you should be about the middle of your dungeon. So we're going to start off by showing off the premise. 
However large you decide to make your dungeon, the first half is going to be the fun and game section. This is the first set of areas filled with the things that are unique to the dungeon. Things you'll build on for later encounters. So is it fair to say that in this section of the dungeon, the encounters aren't overwhelmingly terrible? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a Sean P. Kelly out and say it depends. depends. Yeah. So it, it, doesn't, fair, it doesn't have to be. Like, there's no hard and fast rules mm -hmm. for this stuff, no. right? No, 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 not at all. You can lead with one of the hardest encounters in the dungeon because that's like the guardian at the front gates. Sure. Or you can introduce a bunch of slower building pieces like story beats and then monsters to fight that are that are not up to par or foreshadow larger or worse things to come or like you fought one over here and one over here and you're like oh man what if those things get together and fight us that's bad our brothers will avenge yeah. us yeah i'll give you a caveat if you're gonna do that that hard thing right off the bat though just make sure that the motivation is enough to keep players going sure of course yes right otherwise they're like fuck this get out of well, here well you know if, that happen? if your loved one is dying and the first thing is well, the that's awful a good guardian then that's a good motivation going sure if, motivation. if your motivation is gold you're like well this is dumb yeah <laughs> yeah yeah jerry said is important like think about the motivations and yes Scale accordingly. Yes. If they have a real reason to go through, then it's okay to put the Guardian at the front. Yep. Also, doesn't hurt to foreshadow that. Since the Guardian is at the interface of the outside world and the dungeon, mm -hmm. somebody may know that. Yeah, right? Like, like oh, Domo, for oh, example. Yeah, like, sure. oh, yes, the, the cure is in there, but the Guardian still guards the gates. Beware. This also gives oh. you some level of realism for why hasn't everybody else gone in there? Because the guardian at the gate is so tough to get past. Mm -hmm. Sure. And we can also uh, switch over to sci-fi for a second, like the Space Hulk. It's got an AI on there that you have to deal with before you can even get into the ship. Yeah. Right? Like you walk into the thing and it'll murder you. Or it's in some weird gravitational orbit that not everyone can pilot their way into. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good guardian too. Yeah. Interesting. interesting Environmental encounter. guardian kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Let's go back to our Archmage's Tunnels. Okay. For example, we could have, um, let's say, a workshop. Workshop! Workshop! And in there we've got a crystal and golem who works on perfecting a magical suit of armor. It's been at this for five years, so it's still working. And some. You can even have something like a broken down iron construct, missing half his left leg and right arm, uh, but loves to talk about it all the time before the people vanished. Be a good source of information. Mm -hmm. A doty wooden plant-based golem who's just taking care of the underground conservatory with a variety of rare plants, including several which love to eat flesh. Mm. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> yep. You can have whispers that touch the character's ears now and then. Um, they're incoherent, but they're laced with sorrow and remorse, and maybe once in a while the players will hear a word they recognize. Did mm -hmm. you hear that? Did, did you hear that? I heard that. Weird howling. And you could have things like uh, maybe a wandering golem that's just made of light and gold, and it's going to defend the tunnels from any and all intruders. That's a good combat encounter. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe even have a small library that's been tossed around in anger by something. You're going to find papers and books everywhere, uh, some old dried blood. This is also a good place to put a clue or hint or something that one of the players is looking for, especially if a different character is interested in things like research. It's a good place to tie on to somebody else's like C or D plot in their character just for a few minutes, give them sure. something cool to look into. Not that All I'm trying to talk about C or D plots because this episode would be a freaking hour and a half. Jerks brought oh. that up in the notes. Of course, <laughs> of course. But, it, but it's a good place to put in that thing for the player, especially if you've got the player who hasn't been hooked into anything for a while. This is a good place to toss... Toss something in real quick to get them back into the story. Mm -hmm. All right, so. Yeah, so now, now that we're into the funhouse section of the mm -hmm. dungeon, we're wandering around, we're encountering things, poking things. Let's get back to what we were talking about earlier. Let's talk about the B story. Mm -hmm. This is the place where you can introduce the B story because the player's now in the dungeon and they are interacting with stuff and discovering stuff. So the B story gives the location something for the PCs to learn about as they're exploring areas that you've put together. I 
think that B stories work great if they work in conjunction with the A story. By the way, the B story is the story of the dungeon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. About what's going on here. Yeah. How it came to be, those kinds of things. It's like that magic school that fell on the, the thing. Like, why, why is it there? What happened? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, the B story of our dungeon concerns what happened to the Archmage and the other non-Golem dozens of the castle. And this is where I would typically break out the what's going on document. I love me a good what's going on document. I love the what's going on document. The WGO is great. It's it's, it's essentially the story of the dungeon. So the Archmage Aldun discovered a plane of existence that was a mirror to his with an interesting property. While there were no living entities there, anything that was crafted in his existence was mirrored there. He developed a spell that breached into this mirror plane and started pulling reflections of items he'd built from that existence into his. Things were going well until his staff and friends started disappearing. And by staff, I mean the staff of the castle, not like a wizard staff. The mirror world wasn't empty. There was a creature there, something alien, unknowable, and unseeable until you knew it was there. It absorbed the physical essence of creatures with souls, but left the souls behind and trapped in the mirror world. Sometimes they can be heard as sorrowful, incoherent whispers, and sometimes you can even understand some of the words. Aldun managed to stop it as he was being absorbed by it by trapping it within the mirrored version of his magical gem, that one that you're looking for. But that had the side effect of shifting his castle into the mirror world. It took the Major Domeril several years to break the spell that was holding the creature, including selling his soul to a devil in order to get the power required to escape the mirror world. When he did and uh, beheld the entity, which is now loose again, uh, the last bits holding this man together broke. If not for having sold his soul, the entity would have absorbed him. It's now free and gathering its strength before setting out into the world. First it was fun, then it was scary. Yep. (laughs) Then it was fun. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the story. Now let's talk about structure. First of all, there's really no right or wrong way to structure your dungeon. You can use the five-room method if you want. You can make it a more expansive location with 10 to 20 areas. Or you can make it into a mega dungeon. If you wanted to go with a mega dungeon, it's going to require a fractal version of this method as you go along with some other storytelling techniques, which are going to be outside the purview of this topic, but we might cover to the future time. What's important is whatever you come up with, the important things to touch on are going to be things like make the choices the PCs make in the dungeon matter in some way. Doesn't be negative or positive, just impactful on the local situation, something ongoing. If your dungeon is more linear, then it's solid practice to have early choices, early information discovered, and the events of earlier combats affect later encounters in obviously meaningful ways. If your dungeon branches more, then you should have to provide enough information in the rooms and encounters so the players feel like they're making informed choices. If they always go left because that's their standard operating procedure for exploration, then you might need to put a little more information and sensory input into your areas to make sure they don't just always go left. Uh, Your Honor, I'd like to sidebar. Sure. I want to talk about linear versus branching for a second. Branching doesn't mean that you don't strive to try and make the earlier encounters affect later encounters. It's just that branching dungeons give the players that feeling of choice through the branches where you will have to design with a little more thoughtfulness to make the players feel like their choices matter in a linear dungeon. Now let's uh, touch on a topic that's always on my mind. Pacing. You're always on my mind. You are always on I kind of figured you guys would sing a song when I said that. So there are a lot of things to think about when it comes to pacing in your dungeons. Combat, encounters, exploration, investigation of areas, dealing with traps and hazards, giving space for the players to interact with each other, providing information about the story to the dungeon, letting them learn that information, for the potential for interacting with NPCs, giving them ways to use information, finding other visual having it. It's a lot. I didn't even get those last couple of Me neither. Okay. Take a breath. Good guidance here is to try to structure your flow so two encounters of the same kind 
is the most that you have in a row, right? So think of your basic types of encounters here, combats, interacting with sentient beings, exploring and investigating areas, navigating dangerous or hazardous areas, right? You don't want to keep spamming the same button, right? We've talked about this before. Combat. Combat. Exactly, combat. right? Combat. Super tedious. Why is there another combat? Why yeah. is there another combat? Yeah, super tedious, right? There are seven, ways, seven, there are subversions seven. and things like that where some of that sometimes makes sense, but honestly, changing it up is nice. So have a combat, then meet some sentient beings, then get across a hazardous area. Like, mm -hmm. there's no formula for this except for don't string more than two of them together. Yeah. It's just a good idea. Yeah, that is a that is a very generalized rule. You, if you want to just have twelve combats in a row because that's what your group likes, all right. I mean, you can. So that's, then the other. That, so if you're for you, so if you're going to do that, then let me then let me say this. Mm -hmm. You can also mix a couple of these things together. You can have yeah. a combat in a hazardous area. Have a combat with an objective. Mm -hmm. Sure, like that does not kill everybody. Yeah, have a combat where you're saving sentient creatures that are like the good ones in the dungeon. Mm -hmm. There yeah. you go. Those kinds of things are going to allow you to do two things at once. They often make more interesting combats. I will say this. I think a nice pace is to do something like a couple of simple combats. And then not in a row, but like your third combat can then be like a little more complex kind of thing. Like, you know, you give them like a little like don't make every combat super complicated with like three things going on mm -hmm. in it. Sometimes it's OK to just be like those bugbears are camped out guarding the pass. I guess we're going to have to deal with them. And other times it's fun to be like, well, you're halfway across the wobbly bridge over the chasm when the bugbears spill out on the other side. Now, we said that for, for initiative. Then we use combat as like the primary like oh, idea yeah. for that, but you can do that with exploration moments yeah. too. Like sure. it's just vary the kinds of exploration. So in this dungeon, going back to Jerry's uh, example and everything that we've said, let's say that they need to get through the arboretum of flesh-eating plants. Uh -huh. And really that's the hazardous environment. Uh -huh. And they could just try it themselves or if they take the time to make friends with the little golem that's taking care of it, mm -hmm. the golem could be like, oh, master never comes down here mm -hmm. to look at the plants. It's too dangerous. Mm -hmm. Let me show you a passageway to the viewing, you know, to the viewing area above or, or under whatever. Mm -hmm. But that which could take more time. Sure. But is way safer. Or yeah. you have to do a thing like, yes, there's the passage, but it's covered with vines. So we're going to have you know, some challenge to get the vines off combat, whatever. Or Prom these puzzle flesh solving. eaters, they're very relaxed when music is playing. Oh, that makes the bard. So get the maybe bard the bard can up. do a thing, or if you don't have a bard, maybe someone else can be like, I'll just sing a little tune. Okay, so if two of us have mage hand, can we tie a knot to something in the ceiling and I'll swing across on a rope? Anything like that. Sure. Yeah. Come up with any sort of idea you got. But just mixing those two things of just having that interaction with the golem, with the hazardous area to cross, right? It doesn't always have to be combat like Chris said. Or just kill plants. Or just kill plants. Yeah. So part of what we're talking about here is like upbeats and downbeats. To go with the encounter pacing, you help regulate the upbeats and the downbeats of the adventure. The upbeats are going to be the positive things that happen, and, when the, and the downbeats are going to be the negative ones. So you get into a fight. Downbeat. You win that fight easily. Upbeat. You find the answer to a question you've been seeking. Upbeat! And maybe you have a question raised, and now you need an answer to it. Ooh, downbeat. Probably was cursed. So, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. This is a nice substitute for the idea of the try-fail cycle in tabletop role-playing games. And one that you as a GM can monitor and help regulate, since the dice will not always agree with when there should be an upbeat or when there should be a downbeat. That's true. For example, in the dungeon, the upbeats can be things like information, treasure, a place to rest... 
are the obstacles that can be overcome without the use of resources or at least a lot of resources. The downbeats can be things like failing to deal with a hazard, some sort of trap. A combat or obstacle costs a large amount of resources, having a lot of questions raised, and maybe having an avenue of exploration that's completely blocked off. What about a London beat? What's a London oh, beat? It's a band from the 80s. Somebody going to sing a song from it? No, 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 no. I mean, you brought it up. Now I, now I feel like I'm just, yeah. you just you know what? downbeated me and there's no upbeat to yeah. fix it. I'm going to go look up some London beat while oh, you okay. guys then close I'll, then this I'll, out. Then I'll get my upbeat because it'll be a question that Absolutely. has been answered. Absolutely. All right. Well, sometimes you'll have to read a table just to see if the encounter was an upbeat or a downbeat. You might have thought it's a downbeat and everybody else is really psyched about it. Check with the players. But if you feel there were three beats of either type in a row, you might want to make sure the next beat is the opposite just to kind of keep the pacing going and to make sure nobody's overwhelmed with either too many successes or too many failures in a row. So let's make our own change in tone and take a break to talk about a different show on the Misdirector Mark Network. Bob? Today we're going to highlight Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. This is Jesse and Robert taking monthly deep dives into the dark sun setting and discussing it across all editions of D&D. By the way, London Beat? Yeah. Uh, I've been thinking about you. I don't know. No, come on. All is, of it, is, wait, is that is that? I know it. I'm probably know I've it. I've been thinking about you. Got it. Thinking about you. Okay, I do know yeah. the tune. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I never know tunes based not, on their names. Not super memorable. I can understand. Yeah, not not. Uh... Mm-hmm. Guys, kill me. Mm-hmm. Kill me, Smalls. I'm there. I knew Bob yeah. would be there with titles. Bob's got that kind of encyclopedic sure. like memory. Yeah. Let's talk about part three, which is around the middle and moving towards the end. So this is really the middle of the story. Middles are interesting in tabletop role-playing games. If you want to reference a typical story structure in your game, you'll need to have an encounter that references the A story and B story in some way together. Uh, You need to put an obstacle or adversary related to the dungeon's primary opposition into it and allow the players to have a success or fail state. This will do a few things. One, it reminds the players that they are still on track for what they're actually here to accomplish. Two, it gives them a real chance to fail without killing them, which is important because we don't want them dead because then the story is over. And three, it needs to raise the stakes in some way. And this could be by introducing time pressure, presenting a new threat, increasing the scope of the current threat. Those are all three very valid ways to do it. I'm sure there's other ones that I just can't think of. Whatever you decide, it's better if you can hint at this earlier so that this moment is more of a payoff for the players instead of a surprise. Yeah. But it can be a surprise, but that's not the way that I would suggest starting with this. So I have a question and comment about this. Sure. Question, is the middle just one encounter? The fun and game stuff can be many encounters, right? As we talked about. Yes. Like they can wander around, do it all this. Sh- it should be, in fact. Okay, right. But is the middle a couple of encounters? No. Or is it, it typically like... It should be one climactic moment. Okay. Like, because it is, it is that moment. It's like, like a, a chap- mini climax. It's like a chapter of the book, right? Okay. Of a book. Like, it's usually the... Sure. It's pretty much the midpoint of a story or around the midpoint of a story. Yep. Uh, in, in role-playing games, it would be this encounter. Mm-hmm. And I think, if I remember my other question about this, the middle doesn't have to be necessarily focused on the A story, right? It can be, right? Yeah. But it could also be an escalation of the... It couldn't be an escalation of the B story. Yeah, so... Ideally, it'll be both. Yeah, ideally, it's both, right? It'll reference the A story and and be related to the B story at the same time. There's no real hard and fast rules for this. You can make it all about the B story if you want. Sure. You can make it more about the A story if you want or a little about the B story. like. But primarily, in the most base form of this... Do both of them at the same time in some way. Could be just a down transmitter. It could be? No, that's a it's reference. Never to, a that's a reference to aliens, right? Oh. The A story is this colony has stopped sending messages. Sure. But the A story becomes nearly unimportant once boots hit the ground on that planet. Because right? the B story the is B story. it's infested with 
aliens. Right. Like that's a story. That's what's a, the what's the middle of that movie? Where's the what's the either the false victory or the false oh, defeat? That's the, 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 the that's the, the, the when they earth. find the colonist under the. Um, it's that first encounter. They go so they land on the planet. I'm gonna slow down for a second. Sorry. Sure. They land on a planet. I, I've never actually seen aliens. <gasps> I know. I know. Oh my god. I know. Okay. I know. I, I knew it was gonna I, happen. I, I, I have to say it. I think. I, <laughs> I think I think, I think the, I, see I think the middle of that movie is is the encounter with Burke. It, it should be right in the it should be right around I, the middle of the script. Hang on, because that's what that's what that's when you encounter several things at once. I, I'm going to say this. Yes, I think Burke. I think we will wind up being in the next section we're going to talk about is the turn up the tension. But let me let me I'll, I'll stake my claim to where I think right. it is. Let me let me make the statement of what I'm actually asking yep. real quick. Yep. It is wherever the false victory or the false yep. defeat. Of I can the tell movie you. Is. I yeah. can tell you where yeah. it is. Yeah. It's under the reactor. So. They've wandered, they've wandered, they're looking for the colonists. All the colonist ID tags are under the reactor. They've probably encountered aliens at this point? Nope. No. Okay. They're about to. That's, right? why, that's why I don't think they've, this is the beat. They've this been is... disarmed, right? We're under the reactor. We can't use the explosive bullets, only flamethrowers, whatever. And then they have their first encounter. Up to this point, it's all been tension. they shit goes off. They lose a whole bunch. They lose a chunk of the team. They fall back. They lose their craft to get off the planet. Uh-huh. They're banged up, and then they hold up in one of the other structures on the colony to figure out what to do next. And I think, see, I think the beast, I think the beast structure is just after that when they find out that maybe it's just before the Brook scene when they find out that not only are they are, do they have the the aliens coming, but because of the fight in the reactor. Now the reactor is going to explode. That's the turning That's up of the tension. Up the tension. The, all of a sudden, the all of a sudden they're all licking their wounds, and then this plume so of smoke comes can, out of the reactor. I can tell you where in the movie it'll probably be about. If the movie is an hour and a half long, it's right around forty-five minutes in. No, this movie is about two. Yeah, this movie. Yeah, whatever. Whatever the halfway point of the movie is, is, yeah. is around. Give, we'll give, solve that give or take five or ten minutes. Yeah, we're, we're gonna. Need to, we yeah. need to watch. Chris, this you movie. just need to watch this okay, movie. We'll, you we'll sit and watch it, and then I will watch this movie every week. I would watch. If you're listening to this, everybody, let us know what you think the false victory yes. the false defeat of the movie is because it sounds like the false victory is when they lose half the team or the false defeat is when they lose half the team like that encounter sounds I feel like, like uh, to me that's like where stuff gets it, bad it feels th- I'm, I'm with Phil on it so let's talk about turning up the tension okay which is I think a good segue into sure it. yeah absolutely yes so after the middle encounter of your dungeon this is where stakes get raised yes right you need to keep turning up the tension right you're using the premise of and story of your dungeon to build out encounters but you need to put tension and keep raising stakes into those encounters. And you can do this a whole bunch of ways, right? If there's a timer or situation, then every encounter from this point on should have something to do with that timer, right? The stick drains color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The reactor is going critical. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Mm-hmm. If a new threat was presented, then that threat should augment the dungeon in some way related to the present threat. Oh, this curse now extends outward to the, all the adjacent areas. Or the thing, like you finally have seen the thing and now it can actually attack you. Sure. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. It's, it's not a thing that you know how to kill. Yes. You so accidentally now it's chasing you through the dungeon. In the middle, you broke a mirror and let something out. Mm-hmm. Like, bad. If it was the scope of the threat that you increased, then the dungeon should reflect that in the increase in scope of its encounters. Yes. Things get tougher, mm-hmm. meaner. Mm-hmm. You can use a clock or timer of some sort as a visual reference. I'm a huge fan of these if you want to, like, if you really want to sweat people, clocks and timers are great. But you should tie it to something happening in the dungeon to times when the clock moves. So don't just take a thing off the clock. Have some descriptions, like three ticks in, the ground starts to shake, or there's an ominous buzz that occurs for 30 seconds and goes away. Those kinds of things creep people out in good ways. Mm-hmm. All right, once you've turned up the tension in this section, 
it looks a lot like part two fun and games, except worse. We're still going to go interact with stuff. Yeah. It's just now everything's worse. Yeah. There's another thing is that anything, any like questions that you've raised or people that you've introduced like with smaller stories and not, not what they're talking about, C&D stories and things like that, but inside of the dungeon stories, yeah. this is where you tie them all off. Yeah. You start tying them off. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you interact with that, uh, that golem that's missing its arm and, and its leg, mm. and this is where you find the arm and the leg, you go back and you give them to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're starting to get rid of things because we're accelerating into the finale. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to need that leg. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and, and the reason you want to do this is you don't want to, because you're going to start accelerating into this, as these guys are going to talk about in a second. And you don't want to get to the end of the climax and then be like, oh, but what about like, yeah, what, what about happened the golem's leg? Yeah. Like, We've been carrying it with us the whole time, kind of thing. Then you wind up like having to, in your denouement, do some weird stuff, like backtrack and stuff. So when you can tie that stuff off as you're starting to accelerate and ratchet up the tension, it's good. I, I think that's good. Yeah. Jerry, why are we doing this, man? Because of the dungeon, this is where the bad guys close in in the text that I'm referencing for this topic. What this does and what it means for the opposition of dungeon for either the A story or the B story, or both are aware of what's moving in on the characters. It's a moment where the opposition can go from a more passive state to a more active state, and it puts pressure on the player characters. Pressure leads to harder choices, which leads to revealing who the characters are, especially the ones who are wrapped up in the A story. That's the idea. Yep. Yeah. That's, mm -hmm. that's what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. I've seen that happen in games. I don't know if you guys have, where I start putting pressure on players because of personal things and people start going in different directions oh, yeah. and they oh, start yeah. fracturing. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, I, I suppose we know more about these characters now than we did before. Yeah. Yep. All right. So part five is going to be the ending. All right. These are the last one to three encounters. They should encompass your dungeon's premise. The story of the dungeon, which is the B story, and the main story, which is the A story. You can combine and recycle some of the ideas of your previous encounters to make an encounter or two that is familiar to the players, yet unique to the finale. The reason it's one to three encounters is if you need an encounter or two to wrap up any other loose ends that don't fit into the final encounter, then you've got the room for it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Such as with any NPCs the party has invo been involved with in the dungeon and that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to talk about something that's optional. And those optional are... Twists! Who doesn't love a good twist? Twist. 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 like maybe a sin. In a place I go. <laughs> Is that the bedrock twist? Yeah. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> so, we've talked a lot about twists in the past. This is where you can introduce a twist if you'd like. And this could potentially change everything the characters thought was true. You don't have to use a twist. Twists that are satisfying are hard to pull off. It's true. The best ones are things that the PCs weren't expecting, but after looking back at what they've experienced, it makes more sense. The twist is also something that can be discovered early in the adventure by the PCs of exploration, investigation, interacting with NPCs in the dungeon. Um, if they did figure it out beforehand, then it should be provided them with an advantage of some sort in these last few encounters. Hey, they figured your twist out. Give them that advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Don't take it away from them. If your dungeon is part of a longer campaign, this twist could also be a reveal which answers a campaign question or raises a new campaign question. Just as I said before, you don't have to have a twist. And remember, when you make a twist, never be too clever. Never be too clever. So one of the things that we think about a twist is in a negative connotation, right? We think like, oh, things are going to get worse because of this twist. You can actually make a twist that where things get better. Mm -hmm. In the case of like, you've set up this dungeon and it's the adamantium dragon. And the players are like, look, we know we got to face the adamantium dragon. It's going to be bad. Maybe not all of us are going to make it out of here or whatever. And then as you're heading into those final encounters... You find out the twist is, yes, it's an adamantium dragon, but it's like missing a patch of scales. There is a weak spot. There is a piece of information that now twists what you knew. And suddenly you're like, oh, this is doable. 
It's going to be hard, yes. It's the adamantium dragon, but it has a vulnerability, right? Yeah. And then you've got those like couple of scenes before the finale where they can stop and be like, okay, let's take a rest. Let's figure this out. Like, what can we do to, you know, what can we do now knowing this piece of information? So we get a giant ballista. Yeah. <laughs> but or it, we load it with a giant. You can arrow. completely flip that twist. You get into the into the climax of the Archmage's dungeons and the beast from the other side of the mirror. You find some lore right near the end that leads you to believe that the beast is actually someone that was cursed, sure. and it has the answer on how to remove the curse. That's and a twist. you go okay, and you go bam. You remove the curse, and it not only transforms them back into their normal self, which is a good guy, a non-evil person, but it also sets free all the souls. I got it. I got it. I got one. It's for a you. super good ending. Yeah, for a one-shot, same ending except that somebody else has to assume the mantle of the beast. Yes. Yeah. So for a one-shot where... places. Right. So for a one-shot, now characters are like, I'll do it. I'll sacrifice myself. Oh, gift, like, gift to the Magi. The person sacrifices themselves to save their spouse. Oh, uh, that's, a, that's a gut-wrenching one. Yeah. Yes. That's the only way to get the, although, although you hope, get the gem out. Although you hope that one of the other players is like, I see what you're doing, bro. I knock him out. I take his place. There yeah. There yep. Right? Like, wow, I, now we're having fun. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Drama! Yeah! The drama! Oh, what's the line from RRR when he realizes that he was completely wrong? Sita tries to go to Rom, but, you know, no, I will bring Rom, Rom to Sita. Yeah. Like, you, you know, it's that moment in the, in the movie, you know. <laughs> you get to the Adamantium Dragon, it's only this big. That's the Spock and Scotty moment in, yeah. uh, in, Star, Trek, in Star Trek 2. Oh, you're yeah. right. Oh, no, it's Bones. Bones it's, you're yeah. right. You're right. We can't do that. Tell me about Nerve Pinch going in. Yeah. Remember. Yes. So, yeah. The, so, again, the, to finish that off, right, the twist does not always have to be like, oh, it's worse than you think. Yeah. The twist can be like, oh, here's new information that opens a whole new avenue of things that you could potentially do. It can I, also be worse. Oh, yeah, it totally can yeah. be worse. That's fine, right? Like, it's totally... Feel free to play with it. Yeah, but you want to see it a little bit of that earlier on in the adventure uh -huh. so it doesn't just yep. become obvious at the end. Uh, what, what I think works best is a twist is a subversion of expectations. So if your expectation was, this isn't so bad, your twist is, it's worse than you think. Oh, no! If the, if the expectations of the dungeon have been, oh, it's bad... The twist is, it's not as bad as you think. Because... Well, that's a lot louder than it should be. <laughs> but here's the thing. What you want to avoid... What a twist. What you want to avoid before you hit that final encounter is you don't want the players being in a defeatist mood. No. The expectation was, it's really bad. And the twist is, oh, it's way badder than that. Then the players hit that encounter like, well, we're fucked. I don't know. First turn, I'm going to blow my biggest spell. I'm not even thinking about it because I'll be dead next turn. Kind of, mm -hmm. right? Once that thinking gets into the players' heads... Like, it doesn't matter how well you've crafted this dungeon, they'll check out, check out and crush it. Yep. So, twist is always great when it goes against expectation. Yes. Not amplifying. Which, by the way, this is a very, very, very different from the book that I'm referencing talks about. Because really, I mean, a twist could be like Dark Heart of the Soul and things like that. But that is, this is where role-playing games differ from storytelling. Yes. I mean, look yeah. at as far as of... like, I'm sitting down and writing multiple drafts of a story. And, and also... Look, look at the number of movies that are out there that have what the director thought was... A clever twist and leave you going. Ugh. Well, not even just you that. You don't want that. Sure, you want you want a perfect example of how what you're saying mm. works in a role playing game, but that's not how they do it. In movies is the end of the two towers. Everything is terrible. Yeah, and they're like, let's ride out to meet him. That's not what would happen. The players are mostly just defeatist at that point. But right. in a movie, I can tell the main character 
to be like, all right, we're going to ride out and meet them because Gandalf is going to be at the top of the hill with the rest of the army and save yeah. us. And, and and again, there's a difference between campaign and one shot. Yes. Because if I'm playing a one shot yep. and you tell me like, it's bad, oh, it's way worse. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, we're only playing this one game. I'm going out in a blaze of yeah, glory. Right, like you stole it. The Sundance Kid jump over the thing. Exactly. Then it goes to black and everybody dies. Exactly. But if Not I'm that playing, know that, but, but if I'm playing a campaign, that's what happened. If I'm playing a campaign and you tell me, oh, it's bad. No, no, twist. It's way worse. Now I'm like pulling my character back. I'm yeah, like, because because <laughs> I'm like, I want to be around for some more adventures and get some this levels. Is, this is one of those interesting spots where, it, yeah. where like storytelling, as far as like the written medium and movies and things like that, do not mimic the role playing game no, situation. Correct. Very well. Because what you have to do in this case is you're not in control of the characters of the story. Nope. So psychologically, you have to deal with the psychology of the people who are in control of the characters. So sometimes you got to do a little work to kind of keep them with you. So let's talk about the final encounter now. The culmination of everything. Whatever your final encounter is, it's the one that you've been building up in a lot of ways with your A story. The thing that is going to solve your A story problem should be central to whatever this encounter is. It's the final encounter. I just couldn't I hold up. I was doing the same thing Phil was. I was like, down. That was good. No tune can resist no. shave and a haircut. <laughs> this is where you're going to pull out all the cool stuff that you've been sitting on, if anything, or combine some of the more interesting ideas and mechanics of the dungeon. That You're supposed to give the PCs an appropriately climactic ending. That's what you want here. If you can get the premise of your dungeon, the story of the dungeon, and the A story to all work together, along with crafting an encounter that challenges the PCs while giving them the opportunity to be awesome, then you're on the right track, and that's a huge lift. Yeah. Uh, here's a couple of tricks that I use, and I would love to hear if anybody else has any tricks, to make these final encounters appropriate in scope and drama. So I'm a big fan of phases for my final obstacle. If they're uh, big bad end guys... I do not let them have one set of hit points. They have multiple bars of hit points. Mm-hmm. I usually have three because three is a great number for this, mm-hmm. which means when they run out of one set of hit points, they phase, sometimes changing how they look, but always changing the way they operate by adding a couple of new abilities to what they can do and potentially even replacing some basic stuff to make them feel different. I feel like I can I can see yep. I can see the influences of the uh, video games that you love. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> some JRPG stuff the going on in here. The 4E D&D bloodied condition changes been, the way that yeah, monster works. That been, thing's my favorite. That's one of my favorite 4E mechanics. Dude, I've been using JRPG stuff since 2nd edition D&D. Yep. Like, I'm like, oh, I mean, this is way more interesting than just having one set of hit points mm-hmm. and one set of abilities. I'm also a big fan of having whoever my big bad end guys are talk to my player characters in some way, especially if it's a monologue. Yeah, I love, well, I usually don't have them monologue. I have them talk while they're fighting, but it's always taunting, expressing their desires and ideologies sometimes. I also have them bargain sometimes or just ask questions because they're curious as to why these adventurers would stop them from doing whatever they're doing. Like, I always find that to be a fascinating thing. I, I once had a... Kind of I, the dark side. I, I once had a thing where the fight ended because by the time the players explained what they wanted to the bad guy, the bad guy was like... I could live with this. Sure. Like, yeah. this deal's good enough. Here, take the stupid gem and get out of my, like, get out of my realm. Yeah, right. <laughs> if they can't talk or aren't that kind of end boss situation, then I do my best to make clear that during these encounters or at least reinforce why the end person is acting the way that they are acting. They have a reason. They mm-hmm. have a motivation. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it doesn't make for a very compelling story. I've done that as a straight up narrator. Sometimes I do it through description, or I'll even describe it, but I will also then just say to the players, like, the subtitles, they're fighting for their lives here. I'm also a fan of using mechanics, hazards, enemies, traps that I used earlier. 
if I can use them in a novel way in a novel way in this encounter, but having them there there helps the PCs feel like the dungeon and the opposition has some kind of cohesion. Yeah. So I will say this: if you're going to do any kind of custom rules about the like environment, you've ratcheted up the tension on your players before you dumped them into this thing. They're super excited. You still got to take a second and explain to them, like, okay, look this area there's flame jets here like you have to make sure that it's clear to them before hopefully, you start hopefully if you've put that stuff earlier in your dungeon somewhere and are just like recycling that sure. stuff then they've already seen it but if there's something novel like if you yeah. if you've come up with some like yeah. real novel thing and you're like it's not only novel there's some rules about what happens explain when it you... to them yeah just explain yeah. Them the rules explain it to them before don't, they head in don't hit them over the head with the surprise no. bat you yeah. don't want the surprise bat yeah. these are anti-grav areas you're pretty sure, like, if you step into one of them, you're going to slam into the ceiling or something. Yeah, you don't want to do too many surprises when they encounter the big, the big bad evil guy, because a lot of times the players have been... Just one. You can have one. That's it. Planning and hoping, like, hey, I've been planning this entire time to do this one thing. If they get there and find out, oh, this one thing I wanted to do I can't do, now they're just like, eh, all right. Yeah. I guess I'll just do this. Then. Yeah, that's no fun. No. I think that doing those things together mm -hmm. that we mm -hmm. just talked about makes for a pretty satisfying ending. It I does. Mean, it, it really does. It means the end boss, if you have a, a bag of hit points, doesn't die too quickly. They get to talk, which is always sure. fun. And the end feels like a culmination of the dungeon experience. If you do that JRPG thing with the end bad guy, what's really cool about it is a lot of times games will avoid having one bad guy up against the players. Right? A lot of games will do this because players can put up some serious damage. They can. But if you wind up doing that JRPG thing, it's really like there's three monsters they're fighting. Right? Like each stage, like when they wipe out one, it gets a new set of hit points, a couple more abilities, and possibly worse, or it sets off some environmental stuff, whatever. So, so, so to avoid the JRPG problem, mm -hmm. how long do you want this encounter to go on? Because like when I play video games, when I fight the big bad evil guy, if I'm fighting him for more than about two minutes... I'm done. Now, in, well, it's in, in not, tabletop game, it goes a lot longer because rounds take longer. Yeah, it's not about length. It's about pacing. That's any, why I want to get on this. Go ahead. Any, any, any kind of encounter typically lasts for like three to seven rounds. Yeah. Uh, an encounter like this is, this is going to last anywhere between nine and 21, right? And you when you phase things, the phase can be something not fighting the monster. The phase can be like, oh, it phases because now the place is starting to crumble around you. And part two of this is we need to get the hell out of here. And then everybody gets out of there, but the boss comes out of the mountain that just, or the, the castle that was collapsing into the into the swamp again, and now you're fighting it on the edge of the castle collapsing into uh, the swamp. Change environment. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's really clever. Like, but, like, see, I wouldn't want to do a 21, a 21 turn fight. But I'll say this. I mean, you if each was interesting. So yes. what you can do is you also can make the levels of hit points, I'm going to use hit points here for an example, sure. asymmetrical. Mm -hmm. So it can be that really quickly you take out version one. Yeah. It levels up into its next form, which maybe includes environmental issues, change in scenery, whatever. That one winds up being the longest one. Then it hits its, and again, you don't have to just, like, this isn't a formula. This, this is just an this idea. This is another version of this sure. idea. Yeah. And then the third form is very powerful and terrible, but it's only going to take a couple hits. Sure. Like, yeah. it goes into its, like, supernova. Like, yeah. it's not, this isn't sustainable, Suffer but you guys have Nobody to, like, me. right, but you you have to, you will have to live through this encounter to get a couple hits in here, mm -hmm. kind of. So, you can, you can actually do the beat thing with the form hit point combo. When it comes to using an adversary, like, as your final boss guy, even if it has phases, really the whole point of the phase is that it's going to have one or two cool things that it can do. Mm -hmm. You just want it to do those one or two cool things before it phases. Yeah, yeah. 
That's like the cool that, part. That is the thing that you want because that, that's the stuff that whatever it does, it's a thing that the player should have to deal with. Like sure. whether it's a yep. destruction of hit points, breaking through a shield before it unleashes some sort of attack, whatever it is, running away from the the boulder that's trying to kill them because a, f- a burst of fear that drive drops them all to their knees. Yeah. Who's going to get back up? Exactly. Who's that's making, cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Any Those of that stuff. Ideas. Once you overcome that stuff, really, it's just about they'll work through the hit points probably fairly quickly. Sure. But I guess what I'm saying is you don't have to do symmetrical hit points no, or no. you don't have to do escalating yep. hit points. Right, very, you can you yeah. can do a quick, big, quick kind of thing. There so are that so it's, many variations on so it. Yeah. yeah, have fun with that. Like, well, mess I think, with I think it. what Chris said, which is just keep it interesting is the important part. Yep. Yeah. Well, always. What's the purpose? Always yes. ask yourself, what's you the go. purpose? If your monster does the same thing three times in a row, That's not you it. fail. Yeah. Yes. If, if your adversary, or even, whatever, not monster, but adversary, whatever your adversary is doing at the end, if it does the same thing three times in a row, you failed. Yeah, yeah, just, again, you know, it, it, like video game, don't, you don't want to keep spamming don't the spam same button. Thing. Yeah. yeah, that's really what it comes down Final to. Final Fantasy Tactics, All right. man. All right, it's Now defeated. it's time for Bob to slaughter the French language. Ready? Yes. It's time for the denouement. Denouement, the cuddling. Denouement. The cuddling. Of, <laughs> is that what that is? Oh, yeah, that's uh, how Pandas talks about it. It's the cuddling of stories parts. After the ending, there does need to be some wrap-up. Mm-hmm. This often encompasses the death scene of the BBEG, the resolution of the A-plot, the gathering of the loot in the dungeon, and a transition to have a resolution scene with the person who got the PCs involved in the A-plot. Yep. Some of this stuff could be within the same scene, but that's the set of beats that will most likely play out. That's denouement in a nutshell, essentially. So one of the things we never talk about, and often just gets hand-waved in the denouement, is leaving the dungeon. Mm-hmm. You've survived all the way through, you killed a bad guy, assume you're going to get out. Oh, cut back to the town. Yeah, hard cut, we're in town, hard we're, cut. we're using the gem to heal the husband. Sure, and it's and it's okay to do that, right? It, it's okay to do that. It's a, it's a pretty standard trope in most fantasy that you only have to worry about the one way. You can, you know, if you want to, make a portal that just lets them out the other side. Like, mm-hmm. nah, they're out. But otherwise, it's just assumed that they come back in. And I don't always know, like, you can subvert that. Because you could do the whole thing where it's like, cool, you got the gem. Place is starting to fade back into the mirror realm. Next session, let's see if you can make it out in time. To me, that's... That's a different adventure. I mean, not only, not only that, but to me, it's... Uh, I mean, if that's, if that's part of the story, because it's a story, right? Sure. Then it should be part of the climax. Yeah, I think coming back next week to just try to get out for the mirror thing... I wouldn't find that satisfying. No, I wouldn't player. either. But... And, yeah. I would find that satisfying as, like, a game thing. Like, I'm like, all right, if we want to do that as an adventure, like, cool, we got the gem. Oh, it's fading. We need to get out. And there's still, like, a bunch of stuff that we left in our way. That could be interesting. But for the topic as Dungeons as a story, I don't know that that... No, I think, as a, I think as a story, you can just hard cut back to the town. Mm-hmm. It just hand waves a lot yeah. of stuff. If like, you're going to do it, like Chris said, you make it part of the final encounter. I would be super satisfied as a player if, as part of the phasing of the of the end adversary, like you said, somebody suggested that they phase to the next section and the castle starts falling around. And it's not I'm only you. In the mirror dimension. That's a good one. Yeah. It's you and the bad guy. All trying to get out of the dungeon. Maybe you've got a running battle as you're trying to hit the exit. That's also really or cool. you try yeah. to make your way out and figure He's trying you're to gonna, pull you back in. He's trying to pull you back in. Or you make your escape and you're laying there panting on the edge of the swamp and the big bad evil guy is standing there going, <laughs> So that's <laughs> not the denouement. No. Right? No. That's You're actually still in the final encounter. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. I think that the denouement has to be wrap-up. So sure. It should not be the escape from the dungeon. The escape from the dungeon isn't a denouement. The escape yeah. from the dungeon is the next cl- so the next climax. Your twist or subversion yeah. is that is that the big bad guy yeah. isn't the climax. 
the big okay. bad Correct. the big bad guy. You could do it that way. Where you think you've reached the final encounter, what you find out is the big bad guy is actually the second to last encounter. Mm -hmm. Getting out before it slips into the mirror dimension is the climax of the story. Yeah, sure. Then then those two and again, that's why it's one or two encounters to do the thing. Sure. And again, you've got to give some hints to your players if you're going to be doing that. Make sure they've got some resources to do that because if all if they're oh, yeah, yeah. If they if, left everything you know, on the if, if, if they've got no hit points and they've got no spells, and they've got no yes. equipment left, and now they've got to get out of the dungeon, that that make that's going to make being the bad guy feel like less of a, a so a couple of things one, yeah. treasure hoard has yeah. some stuff, number two, you let them take a rest. Ah, you're taking a rest, licking your wounds, healing, going through the treasure, blah blah blah, when suddenly. The wall next to you starts to fade away. Oh mm -hmm. shit! Yeah. Or you right? come upon some lore, and it says that the evil villain from the mirror realm is actually what's holding the castle together. You find a mirror, and the creature you defeated is on the other side of the mirror, and goes, "If I cannot defeat you in your realm, I will pull you to mine." There <laughs> yes, you go. and then starts exactly. So dun, yes, dun, dun. The, so going back to twists and all of that yeah. stuff, that's a great twist. Yeah, but as a trope, as a convention, there is a generally accepted trope in fantasy role-playing games, video games to that effect too, that once you've defeated the big bad, you just get to leave. Yep. And that you don't do anything about leaving. Yeah, the eagles show up and play away. I know. You don't even... It, it, it can be as mundane as you walk back out, but you just walk back out. Smash cut to... Back Smash home. cut back to town. Yep. Yep. Wrap the right, story. That's, that's storytelling. Now, the other thing I was going to say is, because we had talked about this a little bit, I have done dungeons where... The B story is actually the big deal, and the A story was just a reason to get the players to step into the B story. And that everything that you said about wrapping the A story in the final encounter is just wrapping the B story. Sure. I yeah. mean, you could do that, too. I, uh, although the A story is the reason that you go to the dungeon. I mean... A story is always the reason you go to the dungeon, but when you get there, you... Like, like let's say you're the adventuring company, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we found a, you know, oh, yonder, we found a dungeon. Cool. And you go. But then when you get there, it's like, ah, there's like this, you know mirrored dimensional thing trying to break through that if it gets through into this world it's going to suck bad, right yeah well then, that's, that's when the a story that's when the b story transitions to being the a story and the a story becomes yeah. the oh, story. see that's an interesting yeah. idea yeah, i mean that's that's, that's a that's a script it's a modification right like yeah, the there, there are a million ways to modify how mm -hmm. this this works i just presented the i wanted to present the most basic version absolutely <laughs> but i and again i love subversion of expectations so that's a fun sub, a subversion is that the A-plot is not really the A-plot. It's funny. We say that we all like subversions of expectations, but most of the movies that we all enjoy watching are just this. Sure. I, I don't like, disagree. And yeah, TV shows funny. that we watch well, are just um, this. Well, well, because if you always sub subvert expectations, that's not satisfying either because of an unreliable plot. The players stop trusting what's going to happen. It's what I've said before about sometimes you watch a movie and you're like, oh, they're doing this with this thing again. And sometimes you watch a movie and you're like, Oh, they're gonna do this again, and it's gonna be awesome when they do it. Yeah, you have to have that part of it be cool. You still need execution. I, I will yeah. say this for media that does a good job of subverting my expectations. I usually love that piece of media. Sure. Mm -hmm. The Usual Suspects. Mm -hmm. The first time I got to the ending of The Usual Suspects, I was like, "This movie is the greatest thing ever." Yep. Like I was like, <laughs> "I am hundred percent on this." Mm -hmm. That Lower Decks season premiere. Mm -hmm. Yes absolutely yep. hilarious yeah. right we all love Marvel i do love it sure yeah. I, but no no and I, I i don't just love subversion yeah. right i yeah. love formulaic mm -hmm. stuff right i know i love action movies mm -hmm. like 80s action movies which are the most formal formulaic things yeah. in yeah. existence because we're all watching love like, them yeah because we all know what's coming but we want to see something cool that we haven't seen before yeah. right yeah. i'm in fact i'm actually watching an action movie not for the plot 
For the same reason that I often watch yeah. bad kung fu movies. I'm yeah. not really interested in the plot of this movie. I just want to see some cool wire food. Can we bring this thing yeah, closed? Sure, let's yeah. go to the end. All right. So now that we're done with all this, that's our topic of Dungeon as a Story. Seriously, we hope that you've gained some useful information, some thoughts about how to bring your dungeons a little bit extra to give the feel of stories you see on TV, at the movies, and in books. So thanks for tuning in. Now, Bob, why don't you lead us in the conversation corner? I would love to. Two Fridays ago. Yes. We had a movie night. Phil and Jerry came over to my place, and we sat and we watched Thor Love and Thunder. Mm-hmm. Which none uh, of us had seen. Which none of us had seen, and it dropped on Disney+. Plus. So we sat down and we watched it. Two thumbs up. Very en- en- enjoyable movie. Thoroughly no spoilers, enjoyed. because it's still early. It's definitely a Taika Waititi movie. Mm-hmm. No question about that. It's one of those things where some of the stuff went exactly as I thought it would, and some of the stuff I didn't expect, but they gave me... Exactly what I wanted, Amy. An entertaining, fun Thor story, you know, that fit into the into the overall MCU. Mm-hmm. Had an interesting villain, some I was, fun action. When I saw the first stills of Gore the God Butcher, I'm like, eh, he's kind of interesting looking, you know, okay, he's this kind of skinny guy with a sword. When they've got some of the direction of him and the way they played with light and darkness with his character, mm-hmm. he's good. He is creepy as hell, and I loved every second of it. I'm like, Okay, I'm on board with this guy 100%. Man, if you yeah. like if you like Gore the God Butcher in the movie, man, you should go read the comics. The comic books. Run with Gore I, the God I only Butcher. read the first the first oh, when he when he first appeared. He's terrifying and it amazing was, in yeah. the comics compared to what he I mean, yeah. I thought I thought uh Christian Bale did fine. Oh, played him and charismatic. Yeah. 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 So good. And again, the initial stills that they showed of Christian Bale in character. You look at it and you're like, "Eh, you know, it doesn't really kind of look like gore from the comics. But then when they explain it, if you hadn't figured it out already, it's like, look, if we put facial prosthesis on Christian Bale and he's talking from behind this mask, you lose Christian Bale yeah. acting. Some of that performance loot gets lost. He's pretty good, too. So you yeah. just put some makeup just on him general. and let him be Christian Bale doing this, this role. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. So kudos to them for deciding, you know what, let's keep christian bale and let him act and that character needs to emote he's not just a mustache trolling villain going no. around killing gods he's got a lot of heart going on with there's that there's reasons for all kinds of stuff going on mm-hmm. there so the other thing and the last thing i will say about this movie is something that you don't actually get from the movie but they did a the making of like they do for almost all the the movies mm-hmm. they did a special documentary and one of the things that they talked about is this special lighting rig that they got which they used on the small moon fight where it's all black and white mm-hmm. and the thing keeps rotating. So the light from the nearby sun is illuminating it differently as it, all the action happens. Mm-hmm. And the, the rig that they put together for this was very, very cool. The tech is amazing. Essentially, they have like X number of different cameras. We'll just off the top of my head say 10 different cameras and they're, each one is attached to its own lighting rig. And they're simultaneously shooting with all of them. And so you've got a camera that has this amount of light from this angle. And you've got another camera that's this amount of light from this angle. And you can combine them in different ways to get different amounts of light in different combinations so that you can get it exactly the way you want it as you're scripting that scene. And they did some really creative stuff with that. It looks like and a really expensive came scene. came out really cool. <laughs> And the original technology was, like, small, like this room or, like, this table size. And somebody found out about it and said, hey, can we make that bigger? (laughs) And the people who came up with the tech said, give us some money (laughs) and we'll make it bigger. And they did. And And Disney said, we've got money. 
huge set with all of these lights and cameras, and it came out so good. Dip into nice. this big bag of Marvel money. Let me yeah. see what we got in here. Hang on. Beep. How's about beep, a million simoleons? Beep. Let us back this dump truck full of money up. So that's that's my one thing. Uh, my one thing is going to be our D&D game last week. We got into a rather interesting scenario where we were being both leading an army, but also trying to accomplish certain goals. And so every time we play D&D, our characters are getting better and better at actually using teamwork, being aware of what we can do together as a group. And that I, I always find that to be a lot of fun. But on top of that, um, we had a rather interesting uh, warfare mechanic because we had options in each step stage of the battle. Because Needs refinement. Was it? Needs refinement. Yeah, but it, was still, it still worked. It was a good first draft. Yeah, yeah we're, we're basically we're, we're trying to lead a small army up against a bigger army so we can get some objectives. And we were, at each encounter, we were given the option of either simply making a dice roll modified by certain factors or actually playing out our part of that fight. If we played out our part of that fight, what we did during that fight would eat up some of our resources, but would also give a chance for the next die roll to be modified. Either a larger or smaller have an dice. Impact on future events. Yeah, which meant that we couldn't just play out every fight because we didn't have enough resources to do so. Mm-hmm. So we had to pick and choose what was important. Yep. But also, as we said, our actions had a direct effect on the next encounter. Yep. Should take a look at Forbidden Lands. Forbidden Lands has this siege mechanic for their fortress thing, mm-hmm. which I have I modified to do like a two army skirmish thing. But it's kind of neat because it uh, occasionally, like occasionally it's just the armies clashing and wearing each other down. And occasionally, like there's like a table you roll on where it'll be like, oh, a player or whatever gets pulled into a one-on-one. Like it makes these like little encounters in the middle of the fight. So it's like, yes, there's this thing going on and there's like this pitch battle. And then there's like another layer that's like, and here's like, here's the things that the like the players are responsible for. Heroes of Hellas has something similar to that as well. When in I, those uh, different stages. Once yeah. I get the once I play this, use this system like one or two more times. I'll put it together and give it to you, the patrons. Cool. Yeah. yeah. But it was, the, just, it was the, a lot of fun. It was the, yeah, uh, it the ten dollars patrons. It's a bonus yeah. for those yeah. folks yeah. that give us a lot of money. It, it was a fun thing. It was it was neat to see. And like as I said, we're getting a much better feel for how our group works together as a team, especially when certain players play outside their their general role and decide <laughs> to go. Their sorcerer decides to go hand to hand with the big bad. When the prince of the country that's that they're that, that's it that's so well, you know, part of a war effort, yeah, uh, decides to run up to the big bad. The general of the general force of that the we were fighting. Force that yeah. they were fighting. It gets, gets wild for like 50 points of damage in one round and goes down in a heap of blood. And everybody's like, oh God, save him! <laughs> and and, and I, almost died. Yeah, almost died. I had two failed death saves because of the amount of damage that the guy did to me. And then we got in there and as a team. We got we got our healer up to you to bring you back up while the other two of us basically... It's pretty cinematic, sucked, actually. Yeah, yeah, it was very cinematic. It worked very, very pulpy also, so... Anyway, it was, it was it was it was a it was a nice mid-season uh, big bad fight. Chris, hey man, I watched Cobra Kai season five. Me too. <laughs> we're still on season finish? four. Yeah, yeah. Is that not? Are you not excited for season six? You know, I'll be honest. If they didn't have a season six, I'd have been like, "This is great." I, I actually, if they have a season six, I'm also very. happy. I actually wouldn't have been. No, um, I'd have been okay with it. It's a good end to the story. Yeah, but it's not the story that they initially set out telling. So. It's a good end to one of the characters' arcs that had to deal with the thing that came up from its past, mm-hmm. but it didn't finish Johnny's story. Hmm. I don't know. 
I don't want to give any spoilers away, but I feel like a lot of Johnny's stuff got tied up. No, I think Johnny's got to really deal with the thing that he needs to deal with. Like, he is almost there, but he didn't really do the thing that he needed to do to get one over on, um, uh, on, on the, the, the other guy. Crease. Yeah. On Crease, yeah. That'll be, I sure. think, the true end of the story. I mean, yes, but I think if it stopped right now, if they were like, oh, there's no season six, I'd be like, oh, this was... Five excellent seasons. It, it is thoroughly. five excellent seasons. I mean, it's a perfectly satisfying ending. Yeah. Like, but no, but, you're right. I think they left enough out there that, and I think they're going to be greenlit for season six because I think their numbers, their yeah. initial numbers were ridiculous. Yeah. Yep. So they left enough out there. They did not tie it off completely that there was nowhere to go. They left it so like, oh, no, no, we got a little more story to go. I could easily see a season six. I'm wondering how they get to a season seven. No, I don't. I think they're done. Yeah, yeah, season six is the last season. I'm I pretty, think I, I'm six, pretty sure if it ends on six, I would actually be also very fine with that. In fact, they could fade some of yeah. the major characters back a little. And honestly, and considering where in, they started slapping this thing together for YouTube and being like, let's do a thing where we look at Johnny and, and Daniel 30 years later yeah. and where they've gotten to. I'm sadly two seasons behind, apparently, because yeah, I somehow I totally missed season four. Let me tell you, <laughs> I could run this thing in Hearts of Woolen. <laughs> this is a Hearts of Wulin campaign. Like, do not fool yourself. No it doubt. is 100% a Wuxia melodrama. By, by the way, you want to talk about raising... <laughs> I'm not going to spoil anything, but you want to talk about raising stakes, man. Those last couple episodes, they, they pushed things way Yeah, up they did. In ways that I wasn't exactly expecting. There was a moment where I was like, um... Did yeah. you... Did you just do what I think you yeah, did? Yeah, did you just do it? They didn't, but it was like enough where I was pretty concerned it for was, a moment. It was also hilarious because they... You want to talk about subversion of expectations? Okay, there's a thing in storytelling. It's called Whiff of Death. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything. But there's a Whiff of Death at the beginning of an episode. Oh, man, they just did that, which means they could kill anybody. Mm -hmm. And then they went and did another thing, and then they subverted it. And I'm like, okay, all right, it, well. In true melodrama style, yes. right? Like, it, it, like, whoever's been writing that show, oh, just doing so a good job. Their ability to dig through the backlog of, of just three movies worth of characters, they brought in a cameo I was totally not expecting. Me too. I didn't... It, 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 I it didn't, never occurred to me. It never occurred me. to me. Correct. And then when it happened, I was like... It's like, that makes sense. I was like, boy, that actually... Sure, four or five? No, no. Season, in season six. No, I mean, they do this every five. season. Season five. Right. They do this every season, but yeah, in season, season five. five, there is a reveal that I never saw coming. Me neither. And then when it happened, I was like, Oh, that actually connects a whole bunch. Like, yeah. Okay, well, that's brilliant. Now like, everything is tied yeah, together no, in a neat little bow. And not only that, but they use that character to help fix a part of the story that for a little while you're like, this part pains me. And yeah. then it like fixes it and you're like, okay. It made me feel a lot better too. Um, yeah. Tell me about Ox or not Ox. I, I will um, I will tell you about Ox because I thought that last session two weeks ago uh, was, <laughs> was pretty good. We went to court. We did go to court. We had court battle. It was court battle. I and lost. And it was yeah. a battle. I lost. It was a mess. It was I'm, beautiful. I will say this. Screw that guy. I rolled well, and you rolled less well. I did roll less well. Yep. You did. I mean, like, you did not, like, you had plenty of dice. I rolled, I rolled the punch. Uh, no, I'm absolutely. Gonna, I'm going to get that guy. I no, rolled really low. I honestly thought, I mean, I, I really, when I laid out the scenario, I was like, all right, I'm going to make it a little challenging. Like, I don't want to do, like, a two-die pool. Like, I just, yeah. like, put a, like, put a couple things on the table kind of thing. I gave you guys some opportunity to build up some, you know, assets and stuff. And I was like, reasonably, I think I can make it through the first round of this contest. We and then, it. And then I'll fail. Like, I'll just get blown out of the water. Look, man, we countered that stuff. We just didn't, we just yep. rolled like it garbage. Was, but for that, 
like now I actually think the story's a little more interesting because now oh, yeah. stakes have gone up because oh, you yeah. lost the court battle to convince the court that Ox is sentient. And then you were like, we're yeah, not was... turning them over. Like, yeah, that's yeah. not. And Ox was like, I'm not being turned over. Yeah. I mean, we asked Ox. Yeah. Do you want to go with them? No. So well, now, like, good other stuff has to happen. <clears throat> Plus, we had a nice little reveal at the end. Yeah. Like, there's always a disaster. Mm-hmm. This one was a near disaster. And near, I think, is actually what it came down to. Bob, I think, and I table sourced with all of you guys helping, you guys um, deftly used the system to take out the mechanics of that bomb, the dice pool of that mm-hmm. bomb before it went off because there were a couple failed rolls and there was not too much wiggle room left before yep. the explosion I up stuck to the ceiling again yes <laughs> cocooned you have to understand that i love this game and i'm having a ball i have succeeded at one of the last 10 rolls and i have critically failed on six of them i was actually nervous when you were like i'm gonna help with the bomb and i'm like oh boy yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i did not put a, Wait, i a did minute. not put extra ticks on this clock yeah. to account yeah. for Gree helping with this Gree. bomb <laughs> Gree's overall success failure rate uh, is about 20%. It's what we love. <clears throat> it's pretty hilarious. And when he fails, he tends to fail spectacularly. Not necessarily catastrophically, but spectacularly. It's wonderful. It's it's playing yep. right into character. I should have put an aspect on the table that simply said, Gree. must protect Gree. <laughs> <laughs> must protect Gree. Yep. Good times. It's, it's, it's must wonderful. protect Summer. <laughs> I've been watching season six of rick and morty but that's not for you we get to the after show anyway anyway ox was fun we're playing it again this sunday Mm -hmm. i think i'm making cookies um and uh we'll find out what happens like it's really interesting we've we've been like for a while you guys were like jumping around the galaxy doing all this stuff and then the last couple sessions we've like slowed into this like court drama thing like soon we're gonna return to space yeah it's gonna get interesting plus i figured out how to solve our problem I like I like that I like that Bob's character did not go to to court. You two you two went to court. Yes. And Bob's character's like my backup plan is I'm building a cloaking device. Correct. <laughs> like if this court thing doesn't work. When we have to run. Yeah. And we will have, have, to, have to run. Yes, I'm gonna just have a cloak ready. Whether we to... win the case or not, we're gonna have to run because they're not gonna abide yeah. by anything. So anyway, yeah. all right, that's Ox. We should yeah. close it out and head to the after show. All right, so let's do some Patreon shout-outs. Thank you so very much to JT Evans. Yay. Jared Rasher. The Review Gnome. Jen Pixescapes Gagney. Jim Fitzpatrick. Joseph Peralta. Catherine Helperin. Michael Draper. My Brett. Not my personal Brett. Someone's Brett. Ninjabi hey. and the Rainmaker. Howdy. And thanks to everyone for listening to this. If you are enjoying this podcast, you can get more content through our YouTube channel. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe. Probably. Well, just go look. There's yeah. stuff there. There's stuff yeah. there. there. Go to youtube.com slash Mark, where we release videos on Tuesdays along with other content for our Patreon. And you can also listen to some of the other shows in the Mr. Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Mastering Dungeons, Bonestone Obsidian, Panas Talking Games, the Gnomecast, Bonus Experience, and the all-new Thacko with Advantage. You can also check the amazing back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcast, Tabletop Bellhop, Knights of the Night, and the all-new GM Mastermind. After you have crossed out of the fun and games and about to run smack dab into that middle, leave us some feedback. You can reach us directly using the weird old archaic email system. MMP at misdirectedmark.com. Hit us up on the Twitters, the show, the network at misdirectedmark. Robert M. Everson. Oi. Jim Gerrymander. 
the Light 101. Where you can get your smooth jazz all night long. And me, DNA Phil. You remember that Patreon we mentioned earlier? If you want to support us and other shows from Misdirected Mark Productions, you can do that at patreon.com slash MMP. Your patronage will get you access to the After Show podcast, our show notes, the Bamboo Lounge podcast, and other special releases. I actually have to release the After Show for this week. I haven't done that yet. I'll do that tonight. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a misdirected Mark production, uh, which is the media arm of Encoded Design. I don't know what Mike Phil's going to... I got distracted because I saw him looking around for a mic. No, I've got the mic drop bumper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just reach up and punch that mic, or you can't see I could, it. I could punch it. Yeah, nobody could. could see it, but... Whatever. So anyways, this... You know, it's, it's the media arm of Encoded Design's mic drop. We out!